Hello, I am James Woodcock, and welcome to MonsterCast number 15, produced for the ConsoleMonster.com website, with guest Marty Greenwell. Hello again, Marty. Hello. Now, Ben Rubri was going to join us from SpeakApple.net on this particular edition, but unfortunately, it's not been very well. He's done a skydive for charity, and it's left him feeling a little queasy, shall we say. So hopefully we'll have him on the next MonsterCast. And if you're going to have an excuse to avoid a MonsterCast, why not dive out of a plane? Marty, is this going to be your excuse in the future? I don't need an excuse because I'm always here. Yes, we are both always here. We are the dedicated followers of the monster cast and hopefully people who are watching now are too so this is our fourth live stream over a google plus hangout and i think so far it's going pretty well and we would love you to comment and send questions via twitter using the cm podcast tag that's cm podcast and we may even feature your input during the live show so we're going to start this particular monster cast off just ever so slightly different because Marty has show and tell. Yes, I have another uh, thing for my archive and this one is the home computer 3600 which, uh, yep, you can just about see there I think. This is a uh, an Egyptian or at least a Middle Eastern console but it is actually a NES so it is compatible with NES games. And within this box, I have lots of NESy things. There is a splitter for your aerial. So when you used to put this through the UHF and you had your really crappy pictures on your CRT, that's what you used. We have our gaming divining rods. Oh, now what possible use could they have? They, they detect when you have a NES game in your console. Or something. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what they're for. I honestly don't know what they're for. I'd ask you to look at the manual, but I'm guessing it's not in English. Um, well, I'm not even sure there is a manual. There might be at the bottom of the box. I don't know. Um, but we have control pads. Two of those. So, little messy control pads. So A and B buttons, and that's all you have. Oh, those were the days. We didn't need complex buttons with NES games because the games are fantastic with this too. And uh, then we have the little, the little console. So, so what is it all about, really? I mean, obviously you've imported this. Yeah, I, I just got it in, with a big batch of kit. So it's just... Um, I, I didn't order this individually. It's just one that came with a whole load of stuff. But it is a PAL... Uh, home computer is compatible with with NES games, and you know I've, I've never used it actually. It's just been one of those collector items. You've uh, never used uh, it, so uh, never, never how do you know if it works? I, I don't know that it works. I really don't. So we've got this little thing here. I think this promises that it works. So if you can read the uh, whatever language that's in, then uh, I'm sure we've got a guarantee there somewhere. Now look at me. <laughs> But that's it. Man. That's my uh, my weird and wonderful part of my collection, of which I have many, many, many things. So, are you going to share when you got this and how much you paid for it? Well, it was part of a, 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 a job lot that I got from eBay that I paid two hundred and seventy pounds for, um, and that was back in. Uh, 
Oh, that's a good freeze frame of Marty. Is it going to lose connection? Am I going to be left completely on my own in the Monster Cast 15? It's a very good still shot. Somebody, take a screenshot of that, please. Take a screenshot of Marty. He looks very sinister there. He looks like he's a man with a problem. A man who's just lost connection. You know you need to take a screenshot. Turn his eyes maybe a slightly reddish colour to match his t-shirt. And then post it on consolemonster.com. I feel obliged now to do a little dance or a song or something to fill in the gap. Do not worry. I will not. And he's back. Oh, this there is we a, go. a technical failure. And even better, now we have the same still shot of Marty at the bottom of the screen and live Marty. Oh, he's, and, he's gone. Oh, he's gone. Well, I hope you guys got the screenshot. Post it on Twitter. And Post it on Twitter. Tag CM Podcast. It was the uh, best still shot of Marty you're ever going to see this year. I will post it up if, if it's really wanted. Um, and I've lost my button tag thing. Oh, we know who Marty um, So, yeah, I mean, I got, I got that as a job lot on eBay. It was about £270, and I got loads and loads and loads of uh, 1980s and 1990s stuff that I... Uh, I individually sold on eBay and made a profit on, and uh, all the interesting stuff that I kept for myself. That was about um, uh, that was about six, seven years ago. Right. So uh, go on, Marty. Which items have you acquired and made a good profit on? Uh, I made good profit on some uh, Commodore 64 stuff. I got a load of um, games that were cartridge based, and they're quite sought after. So I made a, a good hundred bucks on that. Alright. Yeah. I've got a cartridge. I'm trying to think now. It's, uh, oh, could I be rich? And uh, Spectrum Plus 3 stuff as well, if you can get disc games for that that still work. They, I made some money on that as well. Quite the entrepreneur. But it was hard work. It's not, not, not easy work trying to make money on eBay because you get stung at every single level. But um, I kept all the interesting stuff, and that's what is important. So I've yeah. got the best bits and pieces. Well, I look forward to what you have on the next Monster Cast because hopefully we'll make this a bit of a regular spot where we show uh, something retro to our viewers. So, what have we been playing, Marty? Uh, Pinball Arcade is what I've been playing a lot of this week, and uh, Falls Four because they had a, a, a discount on the car packs and the Porsche car packs, which uh, originally were quite expensive, and I didn't think they were worth the money. So I grabbed those, and that's uh, kick-started my Forza 4 stuff. Uh, and Pinball Arcade, absolutely fantastic. If you've not tried this yet, you're missing out. It's really, really good. If you're a fan of Pinball FX2, I think you're going to be in for a bit of a shock with Pinball Arcade because it's more sim than Pinball FX is. Pinball FX is a little, little bit forgiving, and Pinball Arcade really isn't. It's pretty accurate to the arcade games. So that's what you mean by saying it's a full-on simulation of how a pinball game should feel. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're if used to playing pinball, you will really get on with playing pinball arcade. Whereas Pinball FX is a little bit... It, it, it eases you in more, and you can get away with with shots more, and you don't lose the ball quite so much. With Pinball Arcade, you'll be cursing it all the time, because your ball will go down the centre, unless you can learn how to tilt. 
Tilts. There you go. That's a very pinball term, Tilts. Yeah, you've got to knock the table. You've got to knock the table. You've got to make sure that the ball goes where you want it to go and not down the center because it will go down the center between the flippers all the time if you let it. And uh, anything else? Uh, I have picked up the new DLC for Skyrim, but I must say I'm a little bit disappointed with that. It's only 400 points. No, so in the grand scheme of DLC, that's pretty cheap. It's pretty cheap, and they're trying to make it like a... Yeah, it's, it's not... It's kind of like a build-your-own-property thing, so they're trying to make it like a Minecraft thing, but it doesn't really work quite the same way. But, I mean, it's 400 points, and you can build your own house, and you can have, uh, you can adopt a child, and that's the big thing. Well, there you go. You always wanted to spend 400 points of your Xbox Live liquidity, so you could and, adopt. And it will be the cheapest child you ever have. Yes, I'm sure that's absolutely true as well. So, uh, I think I've been playing mostly Rock Band Blitz, which is nothing like Rock Band at all, so you could put away your plastic instruments. This is all about using your Xbox 360 controller, because I've been playing on Xbox Live Arcade. And basically, you can use different buttons, but you're only going pretty much left and right. So forget all the colored buttons you get on the guitar or the different pads on the drums. Forget it completely. It's all about two motions. Left and right, or two different uh, two different buttons. I use the bumpers on the top. I find that the easiest. And you jump from track to track. So you've got your bass track, your keyboard track, your vocal track, and others. And you basically, with your two buttons, you're trying to follow a pattern, which sort of matches the music, what's going on in the background. It comes with a good selection of tracks. Those tracks do work in Rock Band 3. It will ask you, as soon as you get the game, do you want to download those and that's included in the purchase price of Rock Band Blitz and also tracks of DLC and Rock Band 3 can also be used within Rock Band Blitz so um, you've got to a bit of room for manoeuvre there I understand that you can never lose at the game either so you don't ever fail You just the whole point of it is to make as, as big a high score as you can Exactly. It's all about point scoring. It's all about rivalry. You can challenge your friends. There's a whole Facebook Connect feature to it where you can challenge friends and they'll challenge you back. And there's, I think there's a period of about 48 hours where you two will be trying to beat each other's score and then a winner is decided. But uh, it's not rock band. It's just a bit of a, a laugh with the controller. Would I recommend it? Yeah, I'd say give it a try. Obviously, with it being Xbox Live Arcade, you've always got the demo, which is always handy. But uh, if you're not keen on the actual game, you may just be tempted to get it for the tracks alone, with them working in Rock Band. So how many tracks do you actually get for the game? If you don't have Rock Band at the moment, how many tracks do you get with the game? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. Well, I'll tell you what, Marty. Why don't you tell us a lovely little story, and I'll find out for you. Neil, let's put you on the spot now. Well, I have given uh, Rock Band Blitz a go, and I didn't enjoy it that much, actually. Um, it is an acquired taste, because it's not Rock Band. It's, it's not Rock Band, and, and I, I think that uh, using the, the branding, they've actually done the game a little bit of a disservice, because it is very, very much different. Maybe, I don't know, maybe... 
I'm unsure as to whether they they're using the brand just to get sales or whether they're using the brand because they think that it it fits in. But I don't think it really does. I do like the way that they can uh, that they've allowed people to import the the tracks for free because they charge for that in previous rock band games. Um, but maybe it's just easier to do with rock band blitz. I don't know. Well, the game features, according to Wikipedia, 25 songs and 23 songs are new to the Rock Band series, while two songs, Give It Away by the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Spoon Man by Soundgarden, were previously released in Rock Band 2, but were not exportable to the follow-on game Rock Band 3. So you've got artists such as Fall Out Boy, Blink-182, Living Colour, another track of Queen, if you haven't bought any Queen DLC, Shine Down, Red Hot Chili Peppers... Elton John, I'm Still Standing. There's a good track for a bit of a laugh. Maroon 5, so Moves Like Jagger, that's a very popular song. Pink. So, a good variety there. Yeah. If you're into those tracks, yeah. And, and, and certainly if you've got your, your Rock Band 3 and imported your 60-odd tracks, I think for the moment, 800 points, is it? Is it 1,200 or 800, this one? Uh, oh, I think this one was a 1200 Oh, it's still not bad value. If you can import your tracks, I think that's, that's fairly good. Exactly. Just for the DLC, it's possibly, for that reason alone, is a good purchase. Okay, and moving on to other interesting tidbits in the last few weeks. I got really excited when this was announced. Broken Sword 5, known as The Serpent's Curse by Revolution Software. There was a Kickstarter project and they've raised $477,947 with still 12 days to go. So we can rest assured that there will be a Broken Sword 5 now as a result of this. And if you do want to pledge, and you can on kickstarter.com, there's new stretch goals, I call it. So now they've achieved the initial $400,000. If they raise up to $500,000, they'll restore the director's cuttings with $650,000, exotic locations in North Africa and the Middle East. $800,000 allows them to realize their wildest ambitions. And if you go and help them raise a million dollars, you will even see a green light for another classic Revolution Software title, Beneath a Steel Sky 2. Oh, oh, Beneath a Steel Sky. Oh, this sounds like a monologue from Marty. Go for it, Marty. <laughs> no, I remember this game because um, this would have been about 1994 when CD-ROMs were just about coming onto the scene and being affordable on the PC. And it was... Um, Beneath the Steel Sky and uh, and uh, and a whole host of other things that were having voices to your to your point and click adventures, known as the talky versions. The talky versions, yeah, because they were on CD-ROMs, and I remember paying a hundred and uh, odd pounds for my CD-ROM. It was a two times speed CD-ROM yeah. on my PC. Uh, being able to play this with, with voices and it was fantastic. And things like uh, Sam and Max and the, the, the Tentacle, all about the same time as, as this title. Yeah, I mean, if you weren't a gamer in those days, you missed out on the, the days of subtitles. There were no voices, because the floppy disks just didn't have the capacity. It was just about enough for the game, and then it probably span over several different disks. Loading times were pretty horrible. 
So when CD-ROM came along and gave us talky versions where you could actually hear the characters, it felt like you were more engrossed into the game. Absolutely, they did, yeah. And, and the, uh, the, the LucasArts games in particular were very, very good. So congratulations, Revolution Software. You've achieved your target, and let's hope they get a bit further and uh, raise more. We've still well, 12 days to go. I really do, although some of the puzzles in Breaking the Storm were quite obtuse. There were some really, really strange ones, particularly the ones in, uh, when you went to Ireland. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was the whole atmosphere and, and spanning all these different continents that you went onto. It was really, really well thought out. Yes, if you've never played the first Broken Sword, for goodness sake, it's on enough platforms now. Your iPad, your iPhone, your Android, PC, Mac, try it. It's great. And with the ScumVM software at scumvm.org, you can play it on so many different platforms if you own the original game. Give it a go. It's a really quality point-and-click adventure. Yeah, definitely give that one a go. Uh, I would say if you've never played Samuel Max or Dare the Tentacle, uh, play those first, but um, yeah, it's definitely up there with a bunch of clicks at the time. And Simon the Sorcerer, Monkey Island, I mean, we could go on all day. We could do a podcast just on point of click ventures. There's that many we, great we, ones we out could, there. Yeah. The LucasArts did a half a dozen of them. It was, um, the Dig was another one. Yep. Uh, Full Throttle. Yep, that was LucasArts. Yeah. That was more like a movie playing that one. Yeah. All very good. All worth checking out. Discworld. Tune struck. Yes, I better not get started on this. There's, there's loads of quality games. If you love point and click adventures, there's plenty out there. And our own uh, James here has done soundtracks and improved those for the games as well. So uh, if you go to his website, you'll be able to uh, download those and import those into your point and click adventures. Oh, thank you for that, Marty. But yes, he's absolutely true. This is all using the ScumVM software. Basically, I've taken the original MIDI files and enhanced them recorded them, so now you can have best quality MIDI hardware within the game. So you're not relying on the sound card on whatever device, be it a mobile platform or a computer. You have the best music possible, hopefully. <laughs> so if you go to jameswoodcock.co.uk, there's a section on ScumVM Music Enhancement Project there, and I've covered Sam the Sorcerer, Beneath the Steel Sky 1, uh, Discworld, Inherit the Earth. So have a look and uh, let me know what you think. So, moving on, and thank you very much for that plug, Marty. <laughs> uh, we've got our first DLC for Trials Evolution announced. So, according to David Wigglesworth, are you feeling better, David, because I know you're having problems with your throat, sir? The first downloadable content for Trials Evolution has been announced, titled Origin of Pain, which is quite appropriate for that game, really, because if you yeah. crash, it looks like it hurts a lot. Features 36 new courses, additional skill games, more tournaments, a new BMX bike, and enhanced course editor functionality. And it will be released next month, October that is, of course, and will cost 400 Microsoft points. And that's another cheap DLC. Well, that sounds like a bargain to me. For 36 new courses. Well, I, that's I a guess... For such I a quality game. Because they have a course editor... And because you can download so much content, maybe they've, they've thought that we'll get the best of this and then we'll put it in a DLC pack and we'll make it available as a DLC. I think you're going to be you're struggling to charge if you've got so many options out there. So I think it's a good price. I think it's a very, very good price, particularly with the inclusion of this, uh, this BMX, which I'm quite 
excited about actually. Oh, I, I think that's going to going to have some really interesting uh, impact on on map design. And of course, we all know that Marty's not usually a fan of sequels. No, well, this isn't a sequel. This is a DLC, and I, I. Trials Evolution is a sequel. Yes, but I. <laughs> it was a, a, a evolutionary sequel. So oh, I, I quite compliment. happy. I'm quite happy to have sequels that actually challenge their original games. It's where we have stuff like um, COD that's, and FIFA that's the same and the same and the same and the same and the same, and they're just relying on the fans to buy the games, not because they're better, but because there's such a number of fans that will buy the game based on the name of the game. That's what I dislike. I like originality. A little bit of originality is a good thing. Definitely. I'm totally with you, Marty. Nobody likes a sequel that just repeats and repeats and repeats and doesn't really add anything to the genre. No, exactly. And, and Charles Evolution added a lot. It added on-screen multiplayer, it added four-player multiplayer, it added the, the map editor that you could share with all of your friends, uh, the physics were so improved, it's an absolutely fantastic game. So, with Marty all enthusiastic now, we'll move on to the next topic, Dinobot DLC. So, anyone who's got Transformers, Fall of Cybertron, it's was recently announced, soon will be Dinobots. Yes, more Dinobots. So, according to David Bevan, one of our news posters, those folks at High Moon Studios are not content on just bringing us the Autobots and Decepticons with the recently released Transformers Fall of Cybertron. In an exclusive announcement to The Verge, players can expect to see Dinobots hit the multiplayer arena in the form of DLC. Due for release next week, the Dinobots DLC will introduce Grimlock, Swoop, Slug, and Snarl, so that's effectively all the Dinobots to the action. Marty. Yeah, I know absolutely nothing about Dinobots or Transformers. <gasps> I just, I'm sorry, I, I just don't. I mean, I've seen the film, the first film, but I only watched that because of a certain girl in it. Um, oh, Megan Fox. Megan Fox, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I had to think then. I'm, I've not played the game, so I just don't know anything about this, I'm afraid. Well, the first Transformers was great. I've only played the demo so far, the sequel, and that looked very good. So, guys, if you've played the full game, let us know. Treat us. Or tweet us. You can treat us as well. We don't mind a donation, but you, yeah. you're probably better tweeting us at CM Podcast. So, the next topic. Moving swiftly on. The PS the Vita is allegedly hacked. Developer creates homebrew loader for the PS Vita. So, the PS3 was hacked the Xbox 360 was sort of hacked and of course the PS Vita being such a powerful mobile platform it was only a matter of time they were going to have a crack at this and they've cracked it. So the user mode Vita loader will allow developers to create homebrew games for the Vita using Vita code. So maybe Marty you can quickly explain what homebrew is and how hacking can have an impact on a platform. <laughs> yes thanks James. Um, Pleasure well, sir. Homebrew is um, code that is written that isn't signed, uh, that is runnable on your console. So things like emulation, uh, Xbox Media Center is a good example of that, which is a media player. Uh, basically, it just allows you to run code that uh, Sony doesn't approve of. So you can get more out of your console than you would otherwise if you stuck to it in a 
a, a core uh, Sony platform. Which is a good thing, and it's a bad thing, because homebrew is nice, but the downside of that is the hacking means that you can play pirate games, and as we all know, pirate games are not a good thing. So, you know, you pays your money, you take your choice, and you can end up with a brick console if you get it wrong, if you try to um, upgrade your firmware to make it playable on homebrew games. Indeed. I mean, certainly at this stage, you'd be very brave to try out a new crack on a system that's only just been released. So if you were to dabble in this area, and I'm sure quite a lot of you do, because there's a there's a legal side to this, isn't there? It's not about piracy. It's just the fact you ex extending capabilities to that yeah, piece of hardware. Absolutely. And I, I hacked my uh, original Xbox One so I could use Xbox Media Center on it, and I still use Xbox Media Center now to uh, to play video and DVD that stream from my uh, my my server upstairs. And it's an excellent bit of kit. It's really good. Um, even Apple TV and um, Numerous uh, HP have done uh, media centers, and none of them have bettered Xbox Media Center, uh, in no. my view. In fact, BoxyBox use a core of Xbox Media Center, and there's, there's a really good media playing box, which I absolutely love. Exactly. So, I mean, hacking hacking consoles and hacking hardware can be a positive thing. It's it's the, it's the trouble is there's the negative signs of that with the piracy, which uh, uh, it's only went out their way to avoid with the PlayStation 3 by making it reasonably region-free for gaming. There's been the odd one or two um, titles that haven't been region-free, which I don't really understand. I think if they want to keep that platform as free as possible, they need to get that region-free uh, situation going on. And hopefully next-gen will see uh, no region restrictions at all on any platforms. Well, we should probably see a new Xbox and a new PlayStation announced next year. Possibly E3, so we'll see if that is a true prediction. I'd certainly hope so, because region locking really frustrates me on Blu-ray and DVDs. So that's one of the reasons I loved HD DVD was region free. But yep. Never mind. Moving on, Microsoft—they've changed their logo, and they don't change it very often. Trust me. So looking at the screen, the original logo in 1975. Not not a lot of us will recognise that one. The second logo, well, maybe more of us will recognise that one, but certainly our generation, it's the 1987-2012 version, that Microsoft in like an italic slant. But now they've changed it. It's now very simplified. It's just basically Microsoft in plain text with four squares of the varying colours which we've resembled on the Microsoft flag logo, but now it's all in squares because we're talking about a tile interface. I think Windows yeah. 8, Windows Phone. Metro. So normally we won't get excited with a logo, but I think it indicates a new start for Microsoft and Microsoft having Xbox 360 and Windows 8 coming out in October the 26th. It's all about tying it together. And we will talk about Windows 8 and Xbox Live titles in a moment. But for you, Marty, what does this logo resemble and what does it provide you looking ahead? Has it got vision potential? I think just, they just wanted a change because they've been running the old logo for so long and they just needed something that unified the, the whole new um, perspective with Windows 8. So I don't think it really means anything other than this is Windows 8, this is what we're about for the next six years. 
um, you know, the, the tile and the touchscreen interface and, and the whole um, touch surface tablets that they're going to be bringing out along with the Windows 8 phones. Just kinds of unifies the whole thing. Ironically, I love the new Microsoft logo and hate the Windows 8 logo <laughs> because it's sort of a Windows all in blue. It's just weird. It's, a t it's all angular and odd and I don't like it. But the Microsoft new logo, I like that. Thumbs up. It's a, the same that they've done with the Office stuff as well. They've tried to make it very, very similar. Exactly. So, Microsoft reveals list of Xbox Live games coming to Windows 8. So, there's no absolute stellar titles there, but it's obviously early days still. But the fact of the matter, Pinball FX2 is there, which was uh, sort of playable in the consumer preview of Windows 8, for anyone who beta tested that. Connectables Unleashed. Uh, good old Solitaire, Minesweep and Mahjong are still there, but with Xbox Live achievements. Fruit but, Ninja? Yeah, Fruit Ninja, of course. Cut the Rope, Angry Birds. You can't have a new platform without Angry Birds, can you? Oh, but the one big one that is missing is Plants vs. Zombies. Isn't that on the list? I'm no. sure it's coming out. Not no, on the list that I'm looking at. No. No, not the, the first 40 anyway. But I'm sure eventually a lot of providers will start using Windows 8 and the App Store because you can get it directly from Microsoft's own App Store now. And uh, certainly from the previews I've been trying, it works well. It works just like the Apple App Stores in a lot of ways, but the advantage is it's multi-platform. But that only goes as far as if you've got a Windows 8 device. So if you've got on your computer, you can play your game. If you've got a notebook, you can still play your game. If you've got one of the new Windows RT tablets, you can play the game as well. Don't expect to play on your Windows phone device. Unfortunately, the connection doesn't go as far as that. So uh, I think this has been a long time coming. Windows, I mean, I remember Xbox Live and them demoing this thing on Vista Windows Vista and showing how Xbox Live could possibly integrate with the operating system and this showed you like all your friends list appearing in a bar and we waited years for them to actually integrate it it made common sense that you'd combine these two fantastic worlds together and they never did it for whatever reason then we got some Xbox Live games come to the PC we had Shadow Run wasn't it we could actually play multi-platform PC gamers could play Xbox 360 games and vice versa and then the whole debate of was keyboard and mouse better than a controller reared its ugly head yet again <laughs> and uh, yeah so Halo 2 of course had Xbox Live and achievements and but it was all within the game if you had the Xbox Live friends list it was just within the game and as soon as you left the game all your connection with Xbox Live was gone but Windows 8, they finally changed this. It's actually part of the operating system. And I think this is pretty major for the platform. So what do you think, Marty? Yeah, I'm not convinced that it is going to be a big addition to the, to the platform because you, you kind of have your PC gamers and you kind of have your Xbox 360 gamers. So trying to integrate the two, I'm not sure that it's that important to be honest. What I would like to be able to see is you buy one version of the game and you can play it on X number of platforms. That would be nice. But yes. it doesn't doesn't sound like that's the case. 
you if you want to to play Angry Birds on Xbox 360, you have to buy Angry Birds on Xbox 360. If you want to buy and play it on PC, you have to buy it on PC. I have a sneaky suspicion that possibly the next Xbox will have that sort of connection. I don't think it'll happen with this generation, but possibly the next one, I think you'll see some sort of combining of the two, where if you buy a game for one, it possibly may work for the others. It won't be all of them. I think they'll cut it down to a smaller number, but I think that is where they will head. It's all about downloadable content. I think the physical media is slowly dying out, and I, I do think physical media has a place in the next gen, but it won't be as such a big force all on its own. I think it's a big deal for a lot of people, though. I mean, myself, I, oh, yeah, I, I like to have a collection of games, and uh, maybe uh, in the next podcast I shall show you my collection of games that is, is quite... Uh, extensive and I wouldn't want that to be on on digital I wouldn't want to have that amount of money invested simply on uh, as a digital format it's just too much money and of course with the online service almost disappearing new owners almost overnight all the new stories broke if you brought games on on live and they just disappeared for good that's I would think that's your investment down the drain well, this is the danger that you run with digital services. If the provider of those services dries up, then what are you going to do? At least with the physical disc, you can still put it in. And and with my console that I showed at the start of the show, a, a NES game from uh, from the late eighties, I can still play stuff on there. What are your chances of being able to play Xbox Live arcade games that you've bought on your Xbox three hundred and sixty in uh, twenty years' time? You know, it, a lot of people will say, well, "Well, we'll be playing Xbox Twenty games or whatever it will be at that point in time." But it's still quite nice to actually be able to go back to these older games and, and have a play without being restricted on the licenses. And, and that 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 is why I prefer physical media over digital media. I mean, I can see a place for digital media, and I subscribe to uh, Netflix and Love Film and. And, uh, and I think they're brilliant services, but at the end of the day, I still want expensive media, 40, 50 quid a go, as a physical thing that I can hold in my hand and I've got something there to say, this is mine. It's just confirmation that you own it and nobody can do anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, moving on again. The Nokia 920 has been announced. Nokia really close to maybe calling it a day if they don't make a success of this particular range. And I really hope they do make a success because Windows Phone the operating system is great. I think it's a great challenger for iOS and Android with very similar type of functionality. Windows Phone, something fresh and different. So, Marty, phones, they've really changed the way we look at gaming, particularly casual yeah. gaming, and obviously this has uh, freaked out Nintendo and Sony with their portable handhelds. What does the future hold? Is there still a place for portable consoles like the DS? That's a really deep and involved question. I would say presently, yes, there is. But moving forwards, give that another five years and probably not because phones will have developed to such a point that there's going to be absolutely no need for them at all. They're going to be so good, in fact, that we'll be able to use our phones as our 
main PCs. We'll, we'll have a docking station that we just drop our phones into with a keyboard, and we'll be able to do everything from, uh, you know, from word processing to gaming to um, uh, computer programming. So I, I think a, a singularity device is, go, is going to going to happen in the next five to ten years, and that will be the death of any handheld system. And handheld systems at the moment are struggling; they really are. Vita, in particular, is is really struggling. It's not even selling as well as PSP. So, is that because people don't want the device, or is that because of the games? I'd like to think that it's because there's not quite enough games that make that system worthwhile. But a part of me is erring to say, well, maybe people are just content to play Plants vs. Zombies on, on their iPhones. Yeah, I, I think the main challenge is smartphones are going to become cheaper and cheaper. The contracts will eventually come down in price. The price for data will come down in price. So you're going to have a lot more people using smartphones. There's still a huge percentage that are using feature phones, as I call them, slightly, I guess you'd say, dumber, without being horrible to that platform. But as soon as smartphones become the norm, and we're already seeing rapid growth in this platform, it really does... You'd, you'd be bonkers, really. I mean, as you were saying, Marty, the PS Vita is struggling. The mm. 3DS is struggling. It was only when they did the big price drop that that suddenly picked up in sales. And smartphones, most people are going to end up with a smartphone in their pocket. It's That's going to be daft to have another separate platform if you can get a lot of quality games on your smartphone. The, the one thing that I do prefer with, with a, um, a dedicated um, device, a gaming device, a portable device, is, is having proper control sticks. So mm. if you can add those into your phone as an, as a, an external peripheral perhaps, then maybe maybe that will work in its favour, but I really struggle at the moment with, with the touchscreen controls. They, I just don't feel that they work for things like first-person shooters or driving games. There's one or two that are okay that I've tried, but they need to have the whole control system needs to be sorted out. Yeah, I mean, a lot of games do actually work better on the touchscreen, but certainly more traditional titles, then it is more of a struggle. Maybe we won't ever get physical buttons because it's all about minimalizing the number of buttons on a device, so they're not going to start putting thumbsticks or anything on it. But, but I think eventually you may see technologies where it gives you more of a tactile feedback to what you're touching on screen, and maybe. that may help. But you, you can actually plug a PS3 controller into your uh, Samsung Galaxy S3 through, the, uh, the, through having a, uh, a, a, a USB device on it. So uh, that works quite well. You, yeah, you I think for the tablet side, you've got a much better chance of getting a controller as part of the package. Android in particular. I don't think you'll see it on iOS, but certainly for Android, the, uh, there was already some form of controller support. You know, maybe Vita sales will Vita sales will pick up if they get some software that isn't stuff you've already played on your PlayStation 3, which I think is the biggest issue at the moment. There's only one or two titles that are... Um, uh, unique to to Vita, and that's yeah. where it's struggling. And that's what made the DS different from the Nintendo Wii. It was a touch screen and dual screen. It was completely different. But even uh, the 3DS was struggling because it wasn't providing enough software that was different from stuff you'd already played before. Yeah, on the DS, it's dual screen. Okay, it's 3D, but I think the 3D, a lot of people call it a gimmick. I think it's, it has a good use, 
but uh, certainly the 3DS, they jumped on the bandwagon and it's probably backfired quite significantly. Hmm. So, moving on again. Pro Evolution Soccer. 2013 has been dated. So, according to good old David Rigglesworth again, will be available to purchase on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 from September the 21st. In addition to the release date, two pre-order incentives have also been announced by Konami. Gamers will have the choice of either a limited UEFA Champions League Steelbook Edition or UK-exclusive Manchester United-themed Steelbook Edition when they pre-order. Oh, they love their pre-order deals, these people. So, with FIFA 13 releasing on September the 28th, Konami has the one-week advantage over the EA Sports series. And actually, David asked in the news post, is it enough for Pro Evolution Soccer to take back the football crown from FIFA? I think that time has passed. FIFA has really become the dominating factor in all of this. What do you think, Marty? Uh, yeah, I think it's down to the licensing, really. They've got the whole uh, uh, the, the premiership and throughout the world. And Pro is just left with uh, the UEFA. So they have a whole load of teams that aren't genuine and weird names. You know, and I, I think both games are fairly decent and I've bought both series over the years and if I'm honest, I actually prefer the way that uh, Pro Evo plays to, to FIFA. But most people go for the license, so that's why it sells so well. Yeah, I think particularly around, I think, 2008 and 2009, you had these massive sections of people you're either Pro Evo or you're FIFA. But we got to that particular point in time and they found out, well, actually, FIFA's getting a lot better. It's not just a presentational thing. The, the gameplay mechanics dramatically improved at that time. And a lot of them jumped ship. And I'm not saying Pro Evolution Soccer is a bad title, but EA Sports did invest a lot of time and money into the yeah. franchise, and it did pay off, and now they're reaping the rewards. And nothing can really touch it. No, it, it, it's a fantastic, fantastic game, and... Um... I think um, Konami are going to struggle to to catch up with Pro Evo 2013. I think that that shows by the fact that you can buy it cheaper even before it's released than you can buy FIFA. Exactly. So let's see what happens as usual, and as let us know what you think, and on ConsoleMonster.com or tweet us, CM Podcast, and uh, at ConsoleMonster, of course. So our last news post of the day. Raspberry Pi, and if you watch the last Monster Cash, you'll have seen Marty showing this to us all. That lovely little programming in bleh, programming interface. And now, it's going to be made in the UK. So instead of the usual made in China, we see on so many electrical products these days, future Raspberry Pis, or at least a good quantity of them, will be made in the UK. And in fact, in Wales, to be precise. So, Marty... Is this really a big thing that's going to be made in the UK? Um, yeah, it is a big thing. Um, originally, Raspberry Pi wanted to do all of their board creation in the UK, but it turned out that, um, and this is the really, really strange thing, if you import a device into the UK that is pre-built, you pay less tax on it than if you purchase the components and import those and then build it in the UK. So there was a big um, big issue around all that, which is why they ended up 
originally building it in, in, uh, in China because it was cheaper to do than building the UK. So obviously they found some workarounds and found some way to bring the components in that make it viable now to, to build it for the same price. But um, yeah, there was the, there was uh, quite a number of letters that went to um, the, uh, the government to say, well, this is bonkers. How can it be right that we have to pay more to, to import parts and develop this device in the UK than just to import it as a pre-built device? It was just silly. So a victory. If only a small victory, a victory nevertheless. Well, I haven't looked at the cost, so I, I don't know exactly what, what the situation is with this. But yeah, on the face of it, it's definitely better to have these devices that are designed in the UK and created in the UK to be built in the UK because that's more money for us. As, as in the economy, so yeah, the, I think that's a brilliant thing to be uh, to do. So, our last comment of the day: games to look out for. Marty, what are you looking to invest in in the next couple of months? Um, two games. First one is uh, a sequel. You'd be surprised to know, which is Borderlands Two. Uh, that is released, I think, on the twenty sixth of October. So, um, oh, sorry, 26th of September, so uh, towards the end of this week. And uh, then Forza Horizons, which isn't quite a sequel, but um, it's based on the Forza engine, and it's more like um, the Atari Test Drive Unlimited uh, and, uh, with the Forza realistic engine, which I'm quite excited about that one. So, some good stuff ahead. And of course, there'll always be MonsterCast16 if you'd like to join us. So thank you all for watching our latest video cast, and even more so for those who've watched us live. And I'm looking at the viewer cam, it's looking good. So thank you for joining us. To find out more information regarding these news items and to read our collection of reviews, previews, and much more, visit consolemonster.com, of course. And we hope to see you on MonsterCast16. Thanks to you for joining us, everybody. Yep, I will see you next time.